to another episode of Cross Defense, this time a special edition coming to you, not quite live, from the March for Life in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. To be sure, the most important issue facing the world today is the propagation of Christianity itself, the message of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus is coming again to do, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. But as people living amongst others who do not believe this, We also will be faced with watershed moral issues, issues in which the culture itself, being pagan, being worshipers of nature, being worshipers of pleasure rather than lovers of truth, need to be called to account, need to be reminded of the natural laws which God has built this universe with, the design of creation in which, as we do confess as American citizens, all mankind have been endowed with clear, unalienable rights by the Creator Himself. The most essential of those rights is the right to life. Without it, liberty and the pursuit of happiness are nothing. And it is that right which has been denied to the weakest among us, the least of these, our children, the unborn. I pray that this episode will stir you, convict you, motivate you, and comfort you, reminding you that the battle may not yet be won, but it never will be this side of our Lord's return. And yet that is no reason to sit back and quietly allow the world to go its way. Rather, we must lift our voices and speak, reminding them that we will never stop our cross defense. There are a lot of things I learned while I was at the March for Life. A lot of experiences I can't quite account for. People I didn't expect. Faces I was humbled by. The strength in numbers. The ignorance of power. But more than anything else, the most striking moment, without question, was how 400 Lutheran Church Missouri Synod members gathered to walk in peaceful demonstration of truth began that walk, began that march not at the political junction point outside the White House, where the marches began year after year for over 40 years, but in a conference room in a hotel, seated in chairs around an altar and a pulpit, with the divine service of Jesus Christ, of hearing the Word of God preached and receiving the Lord's Supper, the foundation point of knowing that the power to change the reality of the American world is not within us, but certainly sits underneath the hand of the Almighty God, before whom we are guilty of all things, before whom we do not stand apart from the pagan masses, before whom of ourselves we only deserve wrath, and yet from whom, in those words and in that gift of the mystery of the supper, we are given the opposite, we are given grace, we are turned, we are made to repent, we are made to see, and thus seeing, we are given to speak. Here we had people from all walks of life, synodical officials, 
pastors, the elderly, the youth, college students, entire families, all here to represent not just the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but the citizenry of the United States and the voices of the weakest and helpless among us, those unborn but not just them, all human life from beginning to end, those with disabilities, those nearing death and in pain, those who cannot speak for themselves. Here we were, brought together by the unity of our belief in Christ crucified, and yet convicted that that salvation is not just for us, but for the world. And yet for the world to hear it, the world must have its hand held back from taking its own life before the proper time. I am Pastor Tuin from Emanuel Lutheran in Wapiton, North Dakota. My name is Marla. I'm from central Massachusetts. Nathan Grewey, Clark, New Jersey. My family here. Pastor in, uh, at Zion Lutheran Church. I'm Mary Benton, and I came with Y for Life, which is the youth outreach from Lutherans for Life. Good morning. My name is Terry Forkey. I'm president of Montana District uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Hi, yeah. I'm Letha Wallace. I am a sophomore at Concordia University, Wisconsin. And I'm here because life is precious to God in God's sight, and it should be precious to each one of us. Um, I'm here to... Uh, celebrate life. I also have the opportunity to preach tonight for a Vesper service and looking forward to that. I'm happy to be here to uh, lend my body and my voice to the testimony to the life that Christ has given to us and the bodies that God has given to us and to remember those whose lives have been taken and to testify to the world that the life is a gift that should be honored. I'm studying Lutheran secondary ed and math major. Um, I'm here for the March for Life. I'm kind of helping direct traffic with, along with other of, others of us from Students for Life in Concordia. And we're here because we really care about the lives of the unborns and know that every life is precious in God's eyes, and that's very important to us. Hi. Why are you here? What brings you here? Um, well, we're marching to uh, stop um, abortion. Good for you. What, what's abortion? Um, it's when... It's when um, you kill a baby in its belly. Oh, in, in the mother's belly? Yes. We should stop that, right? We should yeah. ask people to stop? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. The words of Psalm 8, verse 2 read, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. These words are rightly quoted by Jesus as referring to the children who called out that he was the son of David when he entered into Jerusalem over and against the spiteful and ruthless rejection that the ruling peoples, the Pharisees and Sadducees, had against him. But as these children clearly confessed their belief in the value of human life, I couldn't help but remember my own experience when I taught fifth graders at the Lutheran Day School, when I first taught them the meaning of the word abortion, when I taught them that thou shalt not murder, also applied to the reality of a mother who would look upon the child within her womb and decide she no longer wanted it. I remember the awe and terror on these children's faces as they could not comprehend why any human being would ever do such a thing. Truly, it is something which even the worst side of our nature must be compelled to, must be convinced to do. For it is just not in us to hurt our children. And yet here we are, a nation willingly doing so for over a generation.
The divine service concluded, and we prepared to leave. Gradually, groups of people would make their way out of the hotel, down a few city blocks to the metro, where we would ride with many others who we did not know, but most going to the same place. All of us had been given lime green hats with the words, The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod on the front and eyesoflife.org on the back. Eyes of Life is a campaign the communications department of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has been running this entire year leading up to the event, trying to increase awareness of the many issues surrounding the value of human life, particularly end-of-life issues, and the increasing belief that those who suffer should not be left to live. But as my green head bobbed up and down in the blustery winds of what was otherwise a sunny but cold day, I began to wonder about the other people who were joining the metro with me. I had noticed a small group holding a bucket of roses and standing there with a sign on which the word life was proudly displayed. Hi, my name is Rachel Jelnick. And, and I'm David Hirschberger. And we're here with our church, Capital Life Church, which is in Arlington, Virginia. And we gather today just to stand up for the sanctity of life and be a voice for the voiceless. And um, I've been here in the past and from high school in Illinois and decided now that I live here that it was a good time to come and um, be out here and um, bring roses. We brought a couple roses with tags on them just to be a symbol of hope for um, anyone going through a crisis and uh, for babies. And and we plan to leave the the roses as encouragement and a little donation that we have that we got through the church to the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center uh, to help support those in crisis. Does this mean that you're against women's rights? Are you against women? No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm for women. I mean, I think that women should have equal pay or whatever it is that you want to say, but I am against abortions. I don't think that women should have them. Um, at this point in our lives, we are um, pinning abortion as a woman's right against a baby's right, and I think that's wrong. Um, we should be standing up for vulnerable babies. Um, the choice of abortion is not one that I think we should have. Soon I was on board the Metro when we were zooming away through the vast underground catacombs of the great modern city of D.C. I spotted a sign that I found fascinating and somebody hiding behind it. It read, Trust Science and had over 20 small plastic babies glued to it. I went over, sat down, and asked the lady if I might talk to her, assuming that she was a Roman Catholic, because I saw something from the Knights of Columbus pasted on the back. Little did I know, I had just sat down by an atheist who was very angry with me. Go ahead, go ahead. So, religion is one... who you are. Oh, who you are. hi, I'm Angela Smiley, and I'm pro-life, adamantly so. Yeah. And religion is not helping the pro-life movement. How? It's destroying it. Because their argument is... Stop forcing your personal beliefs on other people. It's not a personal belief, it's a scientific fact. Okay, so tell okay, me what so that is. If atheists can accept right. that you need to be pro-life because life begins at conception, it's not rocket science, Right. then everybody can agree about it. We're never going to agree about our faith. Let My experience be- is that atheists don't want to accept that, though. So can you make the you argument why they should? You need to join atheist should? agnostic pro-life. You need to join pro-life groups that are atheists. Okay. Secular pro-life. But give me the argument. LBGT. Because life begins at conception, you don't get to kill people because it's based on for you. based on what? Science, like I, I totally agree, but bi- like biology. Yeah. So like the heartbeat, or just because of the genes, or human genes. Because of the fact that you have 17 chromosomes from the father, 17 from the mm-hmm. mother, it joins together, you have 34 chromosomes. It's not your ovary. It's not your body. Right. Okay. Good. That was very good. Thank you. Anything you're making else? me mad. You're making I'm sorry. me mad. I know you mean well, but you're making me mad. This is not like something that should be debated. It's. I agree. 
So what I'm trying to do is speak the uh, the argument that I hear from atheists, which is when I try to say it's a scientific fact that, that life begins at conception, they say, that's your belief. And so what I need is that's a way to argue. That's why we religion out of, the, out of the movement, because yeah. science is absolutely on our side. Yeah. And there's too many people in the pro-life movement trying to force their religion. On, they're really using the pro-life movement to push evangelicalism or Catholicism sure. on people. Sure. And we don't need to change people's faith. They have a right to their faith. Right. There's Muslims for life. There's Hindus for life. There's Jewish pro-life. And we're all going to see them today. So, I mean, you don't even have to believe in God to say that it's not okay. Like the amateur that I am, I turned off the recorder, but then continued to talk to her. And after about 30 more seconds, I had to turn it back on again. This was definitely something I had not expected to find, and in my mind, is just the kind of gold the pro-life movement is hungering for. After all, her point is incredibly well taken. So long as the pro-life movement postures itself as a faith-based movement, it cannot expect an increasingly secular society to give us a fair share of the hearing. But if we can make our arguments based not only on faith, but also on facts, on science, on what can be demonstrated in a laboratory, and on the real health issue of actual women's rights, that only the most unreasonable of people would ever try to refute our position. Informed decision. Okay, you need to make an informed decision. And if NARAL wants women to be safe, they wouldn't let two women die in front of Gosnell's clinic and not do anything about it. Right. They care about profits. But if we want women to make an informed decision, we're not telling them what decision to make. But if we want them to see an ultrasound before they have the abortion, that's not taking anything away from anyone or telling them what to do. It's making sure that they won't re regret their choice. And pro-choicers should favor that. Every abortion, if we're going to do it, should be performed in a hospital surgical setting just like any other procedure. Well, all the same protections. But I don't see yeah. any NARAL or NOW or any of these liberals advocating for safe abortion. They just want to make money on it. So don't complain about the gun lobby. Getting off the metro, I began to make my way to the rallying point where all the LCMS members had been instructed to gather. There we were going to have another service of prayer and wait for the march to pass us where we would join. Due to the presence of Vice President Pence speaking at the event on the mall, the security was tremendously heightened, including snipers and Secret Service. Rather than try to make it through what amounted to a land of chaos and lose each other, our goal was to present a solid front, carrying banners with pictures of the eyes of life, real human stories about real life issues, to sing hymns and liturgy and demonstrate our solidarity as a church body. Along the way, I spotted someone who I thought held up a sign that said, Do not defund Planned Parenthood. What made it all the more interesting was that this woman had her husband and children with them. And out of curiosity, I moved over to ask. It turned out I was incorrect. They were indeed pro-life, that she had been here before and had decided it was time to bring her entire family, including the infant, with her. My wife and I, Mary, and Will Waldron, were from Manassas, Virginia. And... Uh with our eight children here and um, we're big supporters of, uh, of, of life. We're here to celebrate life. We're here to um, defend innocent life that's uh, unfortunately in this country where we're at today is uh, that it's legal to, uh, to kill babies in, in, in utero. So we're, we're, we're praying and we're marching and we're, we're trying to build more awareness and, and really change hearts. That's yeah. what we want to do. Yeah. Have you been to the march before? 
no, this is my first time. My wife has been. My my daughter, one of my oldest daughters, has been. Uh, but for me, it's my first time. It's okay. first time bringing the whole gang. Yeah, right. And so, since you've been before, do you want to say maybe uh, why it's important for people to come and participate, having been through it once? Well, I would say it's just very encouraging to see all the people that it's very tangible, sort of a te- testament to uh-huh. people who believe what you believe. Yeah. And you see everyone sort of joining together in this physical and spiritual sort of crusade yeah. that hopefully we can overcome uh, the opposing idea. At last, I made my way to our rendezvous point, where I spoke briefly with a number of other Lutheran Church Missouri Synod members. My name's J.B. Yeager. I attend uh, First Lutheran Church of Odenton yeah, right here in Maryland. I teach martial arts, uh, and I'm here because I believe that life begins at conception. came here in high school. I haven't been since. Okay. I went to a local high school and uh, came every year. What, what does so, it feel like being here? What's your impression? What, what emotions are It's grown a lot over the past 15, 20 years. Um, I'm really, really pleased to see all the uh, Lutherans from Missouri Synod and all over come out for this, meeting everybody. It's just There's a lot of solidarity, and it's all... It's an atmosphere of hope. There's no condemnation. It's it's all about love. Were you down at the uh, at the, uh, the speeches at all? Just a little bit. Um, the crowd down there is huge, and uh, we didn't want to go into the secure area. Right. So especially when the wind picked up, you couldn't really hear anything, um, okay. and there's no way you were seeing anybody on stage. Right. But massive, so, massive, massive, huge crowd. Yeah. Cool. Yes, this is Dean Wenthe. I'm the president of the Concordia University System and uh, really honored to be in this uh, pro-life uh, march of the Missouri Senate. And we have so many young people here and uh, God has blessed us with a sunny day. And uh, the um, underlying theme of the Concordia University System is to embrace the wonderful uh, light of Christ that every human being is valuable in God's sight and significant and that the narrative of uh, history is a narrative of God's lavish love in Christ. And that's what our universities are founded on, and we're trying to integrate uh, that truth into all the disciplines, academic, spiritual, and personal. And uh, uh, I uh, counted a great privilege to be here representing the university system. So I'm um, Pastor Eric Lenthicum. I'm at Redeemer Lutheran Church, Hyattsville, Maryland. And uh, yeah, make it a point to get down here every year. Um, try to uh, participate. Last year did not work out. Mm. By the time I was getting down, the metro was saying no more going into the district because of the snow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Because different weather last year than this year. Yeah, it was 24 inches of snow. And out out here, I mean, I'm from Ohio originally, so that's like nothing. We call that Monday. Right. But uh, out here, that's a disaster. So So can I ask, is there a different tenor every year or does it feel the same? Does it feel like it's growing, shrinking? Growing and getting younger. Okay. Uh, I definitely noticed that. So again, not last year, but so two years ago, I noticed uh, the number of young people, college, high school out here uh, was much higher than it had been the years before that. So uh, and and definitely crowd size is growing. No doubt about it. Anything else you'd like to say just in general about the? I just pray that God would bless our country and guide our leaders in the right direction when it comes to life and every other issue as well. Amen to that. that we would have at least an hour to wait before the march actually reached us and we could begin moving. And seeing a massive number of people already moving about the sidewalks, I decided it was time to venture out and see what else I could find beyond my safe Lutheran walls. Not only would I run into a number of quite unexpected people, 
but also I was in for a conversation with an antagonist, someone who came walking by yelling loud comments in anger at the people gathered. And to hear that conversation, you're going to need to stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we'll be right back. Providing solid confessional Lutheran resources for pastors around the world. That's Luther Academy. Logia, the Journal of Lutheran Theology, the 13-volume Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Global Conferences for Strengthening Pastors. That's Luther Academy. Sign up for our email news and support our efforts at lutheracademy.com or call us at 260-452-2211. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a twofold purpose. We defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone, and we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room and spent multiple nights in intensive care. Now he's on a whole bunch of medications. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO presents sacred music every night. Since 1924, KFUO has presented the Word of God in song. Liturgical, hymnody, beautiful. Hear sacred music weeknights after evening prayer on KFUO as well as on weekend afternoons. You trust in God's Word and sacred music on the Messenger of Good News. Worldwide KFUO. Online at KFUO.org. In 2014, a complete copy of a newly discovered first printed edition of the Pentateuch was auctioned at Christie's in Paris for sold $2 million. An edition of the Pentateuch considered even more rare than copies of the Gutenberg Bible. This first edition of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah in Hebrew, was printed in Bologna, Italy in 1482 and includes the Targum Onkelos, an Aramaic paraphrase and commentary. It's also the first Hebrew book printed with cantillation signs and vowel points, special marks that ensure correct pronunciation and guide the ritual chanting of the Hebrew Bible in the synagogue. One of only 28 copies known to exist on vellum and considered the most important book in the history of Hebrew printing and publishing. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. So while we were standing there waiting for the march to begin, waiting for President Harrison to lead us in a liturgy of prayer, a young African-American woman walked by with her Anglo male friend. She was shouting. She was not using obscenities, but her anger was evident as she poured out her wrath against those who she believed were ready to violate her human rights. I quickly chased after her, 
catching up with both of them halfway across the street and asking if she'd be willing to talk. My name is Paloma Perriera. I am against the march because I believe that this is a projection of a hypothetical life over a woman's life. And, it, like, it is not fair to expect poor women to bring a child into the world where they can't even take care of themselves. That's sacrificing their life for a child that they don't want, that they're not prepared to take care of. Um, Planned Parenthood, like, federal money doesn't even fund abortion, so to say to defund Planned Parenthood is to take women's health away from poor working people. Would you be opposed to having more uh, oversight of women's health, though, to make sure that those facilities are clean and taken care of, given the same kind of expectations would have any hospital you, or Well, you can't center? do that with taking away funding. Funding is what allows them right. to maintain the quality of care that they provide, which, I mean... If you've ever had to go to a Planned Parenthood, which I can, you have to be absolutely impoverished. Like, I was making $12 an hour, and I couldn't afford to take to get birth control there. Do you, you know, know, it's not... Do you know how much an abortion does cost at Planned Parenthood? Um, not off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere upwards of over $1,000. It is, it is. So it's not necessarily accessible. It's not like they're handing out abortions, you know, and... And just the shame that people project onto women who choose their own life and to choose to better themselves so they may bring their child into the world under the right circumstances, I find that's not Christian. Speaking of less than Christian actions, you can hear in the background a man who was making his way down the street. He had hooked up a PA system that he carried with him, and he was shouting at anybody he could find, trying to, in his words, warn us to repent of our false religion. Because the March for Life is a largely Roman Catholic event, by all means they are the biggest mass of people who attend, he assumed that anybody like me wearing a collar was part of the Roman Catholic Church and therefore under, in his words, the Antichrist. He yelled at everyone surrounding or near the LCMS area, using his loudspeaker to drown them out from only a few paces away. I would later grow so tired of what he was doing to one small group of women that was not even connected to us that I moved to stand directly before him, making him yell at me rather than them. Within a few moments, he had decided to move on to easier prey. Even so, I made sure to let the two pro-choice people know that I did not approve of his actions. That's not Christian, okay. to shame these women. I just, sure. I, and well, the goal, my goal would never be to shame anybody. Uh, my goal would be to protect human life as much as possible. So we, we clearly disagree, but I, I do really appreciate your passion and um, the, the way you've been frank. I would say to protect human life is to protect the rights of women to allow them the opportunity to choose because their life is right. already formed and, right. and progressing. Right. So where, where we are divided, and I'm trying to be, I think, acknowledging differences is the way to kind of get through things. Where we're divided is believing that uh, the, the infant's life is equal with the woman's life and that both need to be protected in some way from from basically having their, their rights deprived of them. Yeah. yeah, I I'm gonna say yeah, we definitely disagree on that point. Can I ask you? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, is there any kind of plan because there's all this talk about defunding and and taking money away from Hold on one second. I'm, we're not gonna hear it because you're just this is rude. I can't stand Yeah, this. I know. I, 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 I get that about you. But uh say these people are calling to defund health care for women that make a choice opposing their own, but are they for putting that money into a health care plan that might help that life that that woman produces that she can't take care of? It'd be different people are going are gonna to be better at that than others, but one of the major things the pro-life movement does do is try to create crisis pregnancy centers, places for helping women who can't afford to have a child be able to care for that child afterwards. Right. It's not, it doesn't get a lot of pre press coverage because it's a good thing the pro-life movement is doing, and in, in my opinion, the press usually doesn't want to show that side of us. Yeah. Um, but 
I think the answer is for many people, yes. Of course, for some people, they're callous and, and yeah. you know they're not going to care. But right. uh, I would agree that the last thing we need to do is leave people unable to care for human life. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I really appreciate you guys. No Thank you. The group of women who the man with the PA strapped to his stomach had been berating, who were sitting beside the LCMS group. I had spoken to only moments earlier. My heart went out to them immediately when I saw that they each carried a sign which read, I regret my abortion. Sure, my name is Rose. I come from Rhode Island, from Providence. And the reason I'm here is because um, being the voices of the unborn children, um, I also had two abortions that I now regret and wish I had with me. So that's why it makes me want to come and be the voice and defend the unborn. What would you say to somebody who is right now contemplating having an abortion? Why should they not do it? Because when they see the ultrasound, they're going to fall in love with that baby and that baby will change their lives. Soon after these confrontations, I ran into Reverend Michael Salamink, the director of Lutherans for Life, an RSO of the LCMS dedicated to pro-life issues and the cause. He was excited, he told me, because he had just spoken with the president of Secularists for Life and that they were gathered just across the street. When he saw that my face lit up, he asked me if I would like to be introduced to her. Absolutely, I said, so we headed over. When we got there, we found that she was busy, but while we waited, I noticed another group standing there with a sign that read badass pro-life feminist. So I'm really curious, you know, uh, what you stand for. Uh, and then, well, uh, why are you pro-life? Well, uh, we're pro-life because every we believe firmly that every life is endowed with hum inherent dignity and that we cannot justify taking that taking that away. Um, as feminists, we believe that we need to empower women to make life-affirming choices because when women are considering abortion, it's not because they're like, we hate babies. They are in a situation where they're afraid and they don't have anywhere to turn. And it's not like, it's not an empowering choice. It's something where they have no other choice. You ask women who have had an abortion, they will tell you it was because they had no other right, choice. Right, Right, yeah. exactly. And so as feminists and as pro-lifers, we believe it's, our, it's so important to change the way culture treats women in this situation because we constantly tell women be, who are in a situation where they have to choose between continuing school or continuing their job or having a baby, we tell them they have to choose between that. When do we tell men that they have to choose between their job or schooling and having a child? We never tell that to men. Right. We just assume that men can take up that responsibility and do both. So, so what, why can't women do both? What do you say then to, I mean, because the other side will say um, that you're against women. And that's their, their big news right. media thing is people who are pro-life are against women. So right. well, um, we're all for women and that starts in the womb because half the babies conceived are, are, are female. We believe in their rights too and the rights of baby boys. And we believe, we fully believe in women's rights. We just believe in nonviolent rights. Your rights end once, when they violate someone else's rights. And the right to life is the most fundamental right. Once I was finished with that conversation, Pastor Salmonick had procured my interview with Kelsey Hazard. I am the president of Secular Pro-Life. I am personally an atheist. Uh, however, Secular Pro-Life brings together people of every faith and none. Uh, atheist, agnostic, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Wiccan, everything under the sun. Uh, coming together for the great cause of uh, preserving the rights to life uh, for unborn children. And uh, having such a diverse group of people come together for something is really special. Uh, this isn't a 
theological or religious issue. It's a life and death issue, and we have to we have to set aside our theological differences. And because this is so urgent, it really is so urgent, and we have to be able to reach every mother, no matter what her religious background. If you confine yourself. To religious arguments, you are abandoning the children of atheists. You have to be able to make the case for for the right to life to every person, and that's why we at Secular Pro Life work so hard to equip everyone of whatever religion uh, to make the case from a secular point of view. So when the when the media paints the picture of the pro life movement, which isn't very often, but when they're willing to, to talk about us anti-abortion advocates, uh, they will say that it is entirely a religious and a moral case. And so, they are lying. Well, can you make the case? Tell, tell them why they're wrong. Tell them why they're wrong. Abortion is wrong for the same reasons infanticide is wrong. It, it's really that simple. Uh, it's a difference of location. Uh, all the, the rationales that are given uh, for excluding preborn children from the human family are ableist. You oh, they can't do X. They can't do Y. Right. Uh, they are ageist, um, and this this sort of newer tack that they're taking of saying that women need abortion to succeed in their professional lives is incredibly insulting to me as a woman. Sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you know. They, they just aren't consistent. Yeah. They aren't consistent. All of these criteria that they apply to supposedly exclude the preborn, they would never apply to a person outside the womb. They wouldn't do it because they know that it's wrong. That's one of the things that concerns me is a guy like Peter Singer mm. uh, beginning to apply he, it to people outside the womb. That's the thing. Peter Singer is is actually consistent yeah. and scarily so. Yeah. I, I, I give him credit for being consistent, but I don't think the average pro-choicer is that way. I think the average pro-choicer just doesn't realize their own inconsistencies or they... Uh, they tolerate the cognitive dissonance because they have some personal agenda or personal reason or, oh, if, if I become pro-life, that would mean I have to condemn my cousin who had an abortion. You know, th things like that that aren't necessarily within the realm of pure logic. There was one more person gathered with the Secularist for Life that I simply had to go and talk to. She was a woman confined to a wheelchair and not merely for an inability to walk. It was clear that her body had some other struggle, some pain, which made her life, in many superficial ways, far more difficult than my own. I approached her to learn her story and was amazed by what I found. Your sign says pro-disabled, pro-undocumented, pro-uninsured, pro-unborn, pro-life. What does all that mean? I wanted to ex uh, express my solidarity with all the people that um, are currently being dehumanized by the politics in our country. Right now we have a president who um, dehumanizes the first three and he only um, works to protect the last one for political reasons. Mm. Um, and the other candidate this election um, dehumanized uh, this group and also she dehumanized this group while they were still in the room with her uh, defensively term abortion. And so I'm trying to make a a statement that I'm trying to be consistently pro-life and this should be something that everyone should aspire to that we shouldn't look at things like we're going to dehumanize people that are in this category because we're on team red or on team blue literally dehumanizing certain classes of people um, so that you can deny them rights it is a pro-life issue on, on every level for instance uh, you know my little sister she has polycystic kidney disease and uh, diabetes and for her, if she could not get insurance due to uh, pre-existing conditions, it could literally uh, be deadly for her. I have a friend who was brought here as a three-year-old. He's uh, disabled like me, has a neuromuscular disease. You know, he was born 
second uh, most violent, second poor state in Mexico. And I honestly don't know what his life would be like if he wasn't here. Mm. Um, I certainly, he might not be alive and he certainly wouldn't be living the life that he is today because he wouldn't be able to access the medical care that he has here. And so for me, when political leaders dehumanize these classes of people, they are also not truly being consistently pro-life and pro-human life. Yeah, I agree that the pro-life movement is about all humanity. All humans are created equal and, and need to be supported. Now, just the radio can't see you, so can you tell also you mentioned you're disabled. What is what is your personal condition? Um, I have spinal muscular atrophy type 2, uh, Asperger's syndrome, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, the whole works. I also have a younger sister with spinal muscular atrophy, another younger sister with... Uh, Clepophile, um, polycystic kidney disease, diabetes, autism, intellectual disability. So literally, my whole family, like, you right. know, that's that's our life. And and so we are used to um, being dehumanized. Um, my At church, my mom would actually have people come up and ask her why she had more kids Ugh. when the first ones yeah. would be disabled. Um, I've, you know, had it implied I shouldn't, I shouldn't have kids. Um, there's just all sorts of assumptions that are made. Um, those are all life issues, and yeah. um, if I don't speak up about this, you know, who is going to? gathering of LCMS members. We were about ready to pray and began marching. But first, I ran into Molly Ziegler-Hemingway, a Lutheran who lives in the D.C. area and works in news media. I'm Molly Ziegler-Hemingway, senior editor at The Federalist, which is a web magazine that covers politics, policy, and culture. And we love to cover the pro-life movement, which is very vibrant and diverse and has a lot of interesting stuff happening, not least of which is this huge march that is taking place from the White House to the Supreme Court. And um, it's, it's a thing that the media have not covered well historically. It's an annual march. It's gone on for more than 40 years and has not gotten good coverage. And this year we're getting a little bit of coverage. And it's good for the media to pay attention to this massive ongoing, long-standing protest movement that has been able to accomplish so much good and so much change against unbelievable circumstances. What did you think about President Trump's comments uh, in his recent interview about not the, the media not covering the march? How did you feel about that? What's interesting, he's, he made those comments. He was absolutely right that the media have not done a good job covering the march. And then if you looked at the transcript or watched the interview, sometimes people, when they posted it, they cut out that portion, which is kind really? of proof of the problem that yes. this protest and this mass demonstration does not get the respect that it should from the media. And I'm glad that people are being are forcing the issue and making people pay attention. I've joked that it would be good for the march to deviate one year and start just marching through the hallways of the Washington Post, and then maybe we would get better coverage if you had hundreds of thousands of people coming through the hallways. But uh, I think there have been some good changes. I hope that they continue for the next year.
It wasn't long before we'd all gathered around President Matthew Harrison standing upon a short wall holding one of the smallest megaphones I've ever seen and gladly taking a moment to make fun of the situation. But as he often does, he used his humor to gather our attention only to then turn our attention to the things that matter most, leading us in a prayer, a song, and the confession of what we believe. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, living in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, lover of the poor and weak. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, defender of the helpless. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, bread of life. Lord, have mercy. For every sin against life. Lord, have mercy. For the sin of abortion. Lord, have mercy. For the daily killing of innocent babies. Lord, have mercy. For the bloodshed throughout our land. Lord, have mercy. For the silent screams of your children. Lord, have mercy. For the killing of your future disciples. Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, who are all things is wondrously we began to wait in earnest, pressing toward the street, looking as the crowd coming down the street toward us grew and grew, until at last it was packed shoulder to shoulder, and we would have no way of crossing as a group, even if we were to try. Another hour passed, with this giant swath of people streaming through, a group that the next day the Washington Post would call thousands, but which had to at least be tens of thousands, if not hundreds. At last, our Alpha crew of Concordia, Wisconsin students came from the epicenter, walking slow enough and making room for our entire body to press in and join the walk. It was yet another hour to make that trek slowly, more of a shuffle than a stride, all the way up the hill until at last we gathered before the Supreme Court, where President Harrison again took a moment to remind us all of the value of this day. I've been out here on this march when it's been much, much colder, so it's a good day today. We wish we had a little more sun. That'd be nice. But still, there are just hundreds of thousands of people out here at every turn, and they're great folks. Uh, it's really heartening this year. The mood is ecstatic. Pence spoke to the group, the vice president. That has not happened in the past. And we know the fact is that most millennials are pro-life. They know abortion is wrong. And the, the long-standing death of the American conscience is about uh, to be remedied. That conscience is about to waken. And uh, in the wake of 40 years of a horrible, horrible Supreme Court decision, there is energy, and we know it's coming, a better day for the unborn in America. From the steps of that great famous hall of justice that now stands as a testimony to decades of the murder of millions of the most helpless people there have ever been 
We were on our own to make our way back, doing our best to cram our way down into the metro, waiting in line to board the trams and find our way home. As the back and forth sway of the rail and the press of bodies forced the introvert within me to huddle down and ponder, my mind couldn't help but wander back to those first moments of the day when gathered around the words of Jesus and the sacrament of his body and blood, we were reminded by Pastor Christopher Eskett, Vice President of Synod and Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia, that the one hope we have is not ourselves, not on what we can do or how we could lift ourselves up over and against those who are evil, but that together with the whole human race, we rest on one faith, one hope, without which doom is all we will ever know. We're just beggars who have found where the bread is. The world is mad. This is not a civil society. Human beings are thrown in dumpsters or sold for parts, but no degree of rage will be sufficient to win. Jesus receives all rage into himself. This is his passive righteousness. He assumes the curse. He suffers the cross. He has made sin for us. He takes all rage into himself. And that is how we win. over this last day and a half, all the emotion, all the excitement, all the intensity, the conversations unexpected, the hope I have to fall back on. I know that going forward, I won't do enough for the cause for life. I'll go back to my everyday doings. I'll focus on my things and forget about the genocide going on underneath the surface. But I won't do so gladly. I won't do so willingly. I will do so knowing that that is my sin, my silence, my apathy which combined with that of all the rest, leads to a world like the one we live in now. And I will pray that I will never forget entirely, that I will never turn my back on this greatest issue of our times, that I will be stirred even as I was while watching a host receive the Lord's Supper to speak, to speak in love, and to speak without fear.
listening to all these people who believe the same thing as you. Believe that Jesus died. Believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. Believe that he's coming again for you. Going up to that table, that foretaste of the feast to come. Ready to march. To march for life. Both the life of those who are sinners in need of repentance, sinners in need of being called back to who their Lord is, the God who died for them. And for those unborn, modern civilized world who day by day are sent to Sheol by those who ought to love the most. It is only as repentant sinners in need of forgiveness that we can hope to stand against this tide of darkness. We will not do it by rage or anger or pride. No. It is alone penitent, our knees bowed, our hearts focused on the cross, that we can turn the other cheek be civilly disobedient, obey God rather than men, and love even our enemies. <laughs>